Thanks, Steph. It's not very often where uh, you're on a stage with someone who, there's actually two people uh, there. Uh, Stephanie's pregnant, and uh, we're excited to kind of see uh, what God's going to do with that little life. Hey, uh, this week was a uh, really cool weekend uh, for our youth. Uh, Choir the Fire took place at uh, Muncie, uh, or at Ball State in Muncie. If you didn't know that, that's where the Ball State is. And uh, they, we had about 15 kids that went. They had a great experience, and uh, I'm so glad for them. And so if any of those 15 uh, are here today, if you could stand, is any of the 15 or anyone? That, okay, they all didn't get an hour of sleep, so let's clap for uh, those that did. And uh, secondly, um, we have a young man uh, who is um, a great young man. And uh, a couple weeks ago, he was at the uh, state wrestling uh, championship, and he won uh, the 152-pound division. And um, I'm grateful for his athletic achievement, but I think what I'm more grateful for is his family, who's here about every Sunday, and their commitment to Christ uh, in the church, and Isaiah's as well. And so Isaiah Bradley's in the back. He's pretty quiet. But if we could, if you stand, Isaiah, we'd just like to recognize you. So I've often told him, if anyone ever storms the stage, take them out. So... Uh, I'm hoping he always will do that. Well, hey, we're in a brand new series, and I want us to begin uh, this morning by looking at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 22. And if you pull out your programs, uh, it's a great way for you to look at the teaching notes. You can pull those out. We'll have a couple notes, and you can read along. Actually, we're going to read together, and it'll come up on the side screens uh, as well. Now, I know we all lost an hour of sleep, okay? That's why there's empty chairs here this morning, because some people are sleeping, and you're not. And we don't like those people, but but they're not here, so we can't get too upset. But for those of us who took one hour of sleep and didn't deal with, uh, you know, sleeping in, but we, we came here on time, I want us to read this passage of Scripture with energy and with passion. So you can pull it out, you can read along, and it'll come up on the side screens too. So let's uh, read this together. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray 
so that you will not fall into temptation. There's a guy in my uh, small group by the name of Rob. And he and I have started training uh, for the mini marathon that's in Indianapolis in May. We've been training for about two months, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, actually. Now, some of you right now, when you think of the word run and fun, it is antonyms for you. In fact, it seems insane that anyone would ever have fun running, but we do. And um, Rob and I, uh, we run on flat surfaces, and we don't do too bad that way. But you just don't run on flat surfaces when you run. Sometimes you have to run up hills. And when we have to run a hill, we bomb big time. I mean, we are terrible with hills. My legs become like two tree trunks. And uh, I get exhausted and I start panting and I start losing my breath. I'm like that dog who is like 20 years old and should be dead, but it's uh, on you know, the porch, and every time it just kind of gets up a little bit, it's like, (laughs) and that's me when I'm running hills. I mean, I'm just horrible at it. And the reason is because I train only on level ground. Walter Payton, who uh, was considered maybe one of the uh, best football players ever to play the game, he played for the Chicago Bears in the 1980s, when they were good. Any Bears fans here? I just ticked you off. There we go. All right. But anyways, uh, Walter would uh, subject himself uh, to, you know, the team's training. And he'd go through the entire practice, and then he would drive home. And he lived out in the suburbs, and he found a place where there was this hill. And at the end of practicing, he would go to this same spot at almost every single day after practice, and he would run up and down that hill until he almost vomited. And you could tell during big games, when he would have these huge runs, that this was a guy who trained in the hills. I read this uh, week about Lance Armstrong, who won the Tour de France seven times in a row. He was called the king of the hills. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when he would train, uh, before it started, he would go to the Alps, and he would rent a cabin, and every single day, he would ride for seven hours straight up and down the mountains seven days a week. Now, his competitors knew he was doing this, and so when it came to the mountain portion of the Tour de France, They knew that he was going to own that part of the race because he was the king of the hills. We're beginning this brand new series this week that will lead up to Easter. And it's all talking about how do we develop an uphill faith. A faith that supports us and a faith that can strengthen us when the inclines of life want to bring us down. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to look at the life of Jesus during His final hours and days when it seemed like everything in His life was simply uphill. 
You see, folks, Jesus died on a hill. I don't know if you know that, but he actually died on a hill. He was forced to carry this cross up this long hill all by himself. He had been beaten. He had been tortured. And he finally got to the top of that hill. And why did he do that? He went to the top of that hill because of his love for you and for me. You see, folks, Jesus understands how difficult a hill can be and how you sometimes can only take one step in front of the other because it's a steep hill. He knows how to climb and to keep on climbing until he gets to the top of the hill. And we're going to talk about and we're going to be inspired by the hill that he climbed. We're going to learn how to get better with our own hill-climbing capabilities and to grow in our faith so that we have an uphill faith. Now, the first hill that he climbed, which was a smaller hill, and he actually did climb it, it's called the Mount of Olives. And you can see a picture of it. Now, the Mount of Olives, folks, is not an intimidating hill. It's only about 200 feet in elevation. I mean, it's no big deal. It was not physically challenging for Jesus to walk that hill. But when you look at the text that we just read, it was an emotional and a psychological Mount Everest. Just that 200-foot incline felt like a Mount Everest to him. Well, why? Well, you've got to know, folks, what was on the other side of the hill. You see, on the other side of the hill, when he got up to the top of the hill, there was a group, a band of soldiers that were waiting on him with spears and with clubs, and they were foaming at the mouth, waiting to beat him up. On top of that hill were these religious leaders who felt they finally had this window of opportunity to arrest him and to send him to death for blasphemy, which was claiming that he was the Son of God. And the reality is, he was the Son of God. And on top of that hill was one of Jesus' best friends. One of his twelve hand-picked followers. And on that hill was this friend who he had invested three years in his life. That friend's name was Judas. And he would walk away from the crowd when they got to the top of the hill and he would walk up to Jesus and give a greeting of a kiss on the cheek and Jesus would be betrayed by a friend on top of a hill. So you get the picture? I mean, it wasn't just a 200 feet elevated walk. That would have been easy. It wasn't difficult physically. But emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, Jesus had to count a cost that the world has never known. But I'm so grateful that He went up that hill. It was like Mount Everest to Him. 
I know some of you right now, you're experiencing your own Mount Everest experience. I know of a dad who called me just a couple of weeks ago. And the pain and the hurt that was on the other end of that phone was unbelievable to me. He told me that his daughter had just been beaten by her boyfriend. And he said, I'm not looking forward to going there to try to walk up that hill. Because it was going to be a steep hill. And it's still a steep hill for him. And he told me that he just needed some prayer. And so we just prayed together on the phone. And he said when he went and he walked to her, he said that as he took that step of walking to see her, that she immediately said, it's all my fault. Just like many victims of domestic violence do. And I just want to say, as the pastor of this church, that if there's domestic violence that's happening to you, get out. And if you are ever affected by it, we're here for you. We want to love you. We want to care for you. People are here to care for you. But that dad had to go and take an uphill walk to his daughter. It was the same daughter that he had held in his hands as a baby. And now he looked in her face and it was beaten and bruised. And this is a guy who loves Jesus. He wants to do the right thing. But he wanted to pulverize. He wanted to hurt. He wanted to take care of the man who had done this. He wanted revenge. And yet at the same point, he remembered Jesus' words, love your enemies. And that hill that he had to climb to care for his daughter and to confront the boyfriend was a very difficult hill. It felt like Mount Everest to him. I recently talked to someone who owns a business. And the business had done extremely well for a long time, but then the economy, you know, kind of broke down in 2008. And now the person's business is not going very well at all. In fact, it's going so badly that they're going to have to relocate or they may have to file bankruptcy or close the business down altogether. And it feels like a Mount Everest to the person that's having to climb that. I know of another person who recently lost their home. They got into debt. They lost their job. They couldn't pay for the mortgage anymore. And the person had to leave all of the memories. And for those of you who have been in a home for a long time, and you know your kids were there, and uh, your, your marriage was there, and so many wonderful things happened, they had to leave that home and downsize, and now they're renting an apartment. And just imagine the trip from the house to that apartment on that day. I guarantee it was probably a pretty level drive. There was no steep incline. It was just a level drive. But I bet it felt like a Mount Everest driving away from that home. I mean, that's a hill, folks, when you lose your home. In a church this size... There are people who come in here every single Sunday and they're facing daunting 
fear-producing, nerve-wracking kind of hills in their lives. And it's like right now, and it's unavoidable, and maybe no one else knows, but you know what the hill is. And you kind of hope that you'll wake up that morning and it'll all be gone, but you wake up and it's still there. And some of you it's relational hill. Some of you it's a you know, job hill. And it looks impossible to climb. And for those of you in that category, you're sitting there right now and you're like, how did Jesus handle His hill? What can I learn from Him so that I can handle my hill? So if you would, I'd like us to look at a a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 26. And it's very similar to the one that I read earlier. And in verse 26, it says this, Then Jesus went with His disciples to a garden. And if you would, either underline or circle that phrase, with His disciples. He went with His disciples. As He climbed the Mount of Olives, He wanted His friends to come along. Now, Jesus could have made a very different choice. He could have said, you know, when it comes to the hills, when it comes to the glory time, I want to do it all by myself. It's a solo act. I want to do it by myself. But it wasn't in Him to do that. He said, when it's hill time, I want a band of brothers who are around me who can help me go up that hill. You see, folks... When Jesus came to planet earth, he was not about dependence, he was about interdependence. He wasn't even about independence, but interdependence, about mutuality, about doing life together. And he knew that because he was a part of the Trinity, the very presence of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that all of that working together the only perfect community that has ever been known, he understood the importance of community, of people being together. So when he started his ministry here on planet Earth, he called 12 guys to be his band of brothers who would be with him for three years. And when it was hill time, he called on his disciples to come, his best friends, to help him climb that hill. Now, just have a question for you here. Are you living with a band of brothers or sisters in your life that can support you and strengthen you when it comes hill climbing time? Are you deeply in relationship with a few other people? Simply put, are you in a small group? And if you're not, why aren't you? I mean, why would you want to go through life climbing hills alone? If you're not in a small group, I'd encourage you today, go to the uh, connections table. There's a card that looks like this. Fill it out. Pick the day of the week and say, I'm not going to climb hills alone anymore. And we'll get you plugged into a small group. Now, each of these groups only meet for an hour and a half, twice a month. So you're not talking a huge amount of time. But I hear people all the time, they're like, oh, 
my life is too busy. I can't afford to do it. And I'd just like to tell you this morning, you can't not afford to do it. You need encouragement of people around you. You need help when you're scaling hills. For others of you, you're going through a huge hurt, habit, or hang-up right now. And Celebrate Recoveries on Thursday at 7 o'clock. And for some of you, it would be the best thing of your life if you just kind of admit, I need to get some help with some stuff in my life. And you would show up this Thursday, 7 o'clock. Others of you, you're going through some real grief right now. You've lost a loved one and you're hurting, but you're hurting alone. And grief shares on Tuesday. And you can go and you can be a part of that and get some people around you. Now some of you are in a small group, but you're not a partner. You're not a a member of the JAR. Why not? I mean, you keep putting off the life course because you say, well, I don't have the time. Well, we've got the time for you today. And guess what? You get food. And you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to wait in line at noon at Bob Evans. You know, people waiting in line or wherever you go. You can go and you can eat. Now, you've got to stay for a little bit longer. But most of you aren't going to get out of restaurants till 2.30 anyway. And, and child care is provided. You're like, yeah, but I got my kids. We'll take them. We'll put them somewhere, but we'll take them, you know? But some of you just need to say, hey, you're, not, you're right. Chris, you're right. I'm just going to take the class. There's a passage in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, and it talks about the importance of doing life deeply together. And this is what it says. It says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the person who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Nelson Mandela, uh, in his great autobiography, uh, A Long Walk to Freedom, he says this. He says, The biggest mistake my oppressors ever made was incarcerating me on Robben Island, but then allowing me to meet with other prisoners several hours a day. He says their fatal error of judgment on their part is that they let us meet together because we drew strength from one another every single day. He was in prison for 26 years. And he said there were these power transfusions that would happen. One guy would get down and discouraged because he was in there and somebody else would lift him up. And that person would get down, but somebody else was there to lift him up. And he said it was a fatal error that they allowed us to actually meet together. And 26 years later, this little strengthened band of brothers overturned the entire country of South Africa, and apartheid ended 
because of the power of community that was in that group. Folks, there is so much power in community when we come together in the church. There is such power. And you can get a power transfusion from other people when you're doing community together. So, let me ask you this. Are you building those kinds of friendships? Are you living your life that way? So that when your friend is facing a hill or you're facing a hill yourself, you don't have to go up that hill alone. Now here's just a little side note. When Jesus is going up this hill of the Mount of Olives, which is about uh, 200 feet, he's taking his disciples with him, and he gets about partway up the hill, and he tells one group right there to just sit here. And can you imagine... You've been following him for three years. And he says, just sit here. Matthew says this, Then Jesus went with the disciples to the garden called Gethsemane, and he said to them, what's he say? Sit a while. Sit here. I'm going over there and pray. That was their only assignment, was to sit here. Some of you just found your life first. I thought you would laugh more about that. It must be the lack of sleep. Some of you just found your life first. Just sit here. Like your scripture verse for your life is that one, okay? Sometimes they don't work, you know? They thought they were going to take the hill with Jesus and they're walking up the hill and all of a sudden Jesus says, hey guys, hey, 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 just sit here. What you could do best for me is if you just sit here and pray for me and just sit there. And Jesus teaches a principle here that is very powerful. It's called the presence principle. The presence principle. I mean, we give strength to each other when we're simply present. How many of you have ever experienced this before? You have a coworker, or a neighbor, or a friend. They're going through some steep hill, some difficulty in their life, and the incline's great. And you get a whisper from God that says, you know what, you should do something to support them in some way. But you think to yourself, I don't know how to do it. And so you think, well, maybe I'll send a letter, or maybe I'll give some advice, and You're just getting more and more confused and you're like, but I don't know how. And so you get freaked out a little bit. And if you're like me, you get freaked out a lot sometimes. And you just decide, I I don't know what to do, so you get paralyzed. And instead of doing something to support that person, you don't do anything. And I hate to say this, folks, But I still fall into that trap sometimes. I let my friends down periodically because I know that they need some support or some encouragement in some way, but I'm not so sure how to do it, so I don't do anything. Well, maybe you and I need to do periodically what Jesus' friends did for Him. And what Jesus' friends did for Him is as He's scaling this hill, they just stop and they sit there and 
He knows that they're there. They just sit down, hang out, stay close. Eight months ago, Miles Swoboda, who's the son of Wendy Granger and Rob Swoboda and, and Brett Granger and Krista Swoboda, was killed in a tragic car accident. And what I wish I could play for you was the video of Wendy and Brett's front yard when word got out that Miles had been killed. I mean, people in the church, people in the neighborhood, friends, family, everyone just descended upon their front lawn. When I first got there, there were about 12 people. And there was like 12 more that came. And then 12 more. And eventually, there were like 75 people in this yard and in this house. And as I observed, all of the, the kids that were Miles' friends and all the family and everyone that was there, everyone was quiet. No one felt that they needed to stand up and give some wise word. No one was trying to explain God's will in the midst of all of this. There were no awkward forms of trying to help people grieve. There was no scripture reading. Mainly, mainly, people just sat around in the yard or stood up around in the yard. Quietly, tearfully, lovingly. Hour after hour. It was so powerful. It was the most powerful experience of the presence principle I've ever witnessed in my life. And no one wanted to leave because we all kind of knew that for Rob and for Wendy and for Brett and for Krista that there was this power transfusion that we were giving to them simply by being there. I found out this firsthand for myself when our oldest daughter, Jordan, was born. My wife went through 13 hours of labor. I couldn't handle all 13, to be quite honest. And so basically what would happen is every couple of hours I'd say, Honey, I'm going to go see how everyone's doing. And really, I just wanted to get out of the room. And every time I'd walk down to that uh, waiting room, there were all of these people from the church and our friends and our family, they were all there. And I'd go back, and then two hours later, I'd come back, and there were more people that were there. And then it came time for Jordan's delivery. And there were complications. Her APGAR score was one. They called a code pink which is kind of like a code blue. The, her lungs weren't functioning, her heart wasn't. There were a lot of things that weren't going right. You see, a, a healthy baby, when uh, they're born, typically has an APGOR score of 8 to 10. But there was this group of people that were in the waiting room and they were just there. And they were praying for us. 
And we didn't even know that. And, and most of them said, we heard this code pink, and we didn't even know what that was, and we just started praying and being present. And praise be to God, he spared her life, and within 10 minutes, they got her APGOR score up to a 9. And I walked out, and I held Jordan for the first time, and there were all of these people. And I can't tell you a single thing any one of them said. I have no idea what they said. But I'll never forget the faces of them just being there. So here's a coaching moment for some of you. When your friend or your family member or your coworker is facing an uphill battle and the Spirit tugs to you to go and to support them in some way, friends, just go and sit with them. Drive over, sit down. Walk across the street. Sit in their backyard. If you feel you have to say anything, just say, I'm sorry, and I'm here if you need me. Other than that, just sit there. If they want to talk, they'll talk. But just sit there. And as you do this, the presence of your presence will breathe life and strength into them, and they'll remember your presence for the rest of their life. Well, for most of the disciples, as, as Jesus is walking up, he tells them to sit there, but there are three of them that he decides he wants them to go a little bit further with him. The Bible says this, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus took these three guys into the garden and He asked them, I'm in anguish. Just be here with me. Pray for me. Listen to me. And then one of the most heart-breaking Scriptures in the Bible, Jesus says this, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Just think about that. Here's the strongest man who ever walked planet Earth. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is in so much anguish because of this assignment that God has given him that eventually he's going to have to go up a hill and have his body ripped to shreds and be pounded on a tree. And it's a nightmare. And he's sorting through all of this and he has the courage to stand up and self-disclose himself to his disciples, to these three inner circle friends. He says, my soul is overwhelmed even to the point of death. Let me draw something here real quick. Jesus had a relational world. All of us have a relational world too. And experts tell us that one big part of this relational world that we have, we have about a hundred people in it, and they're called, I don't know how to spell it, so I'm going to abbreviate it, acquaintances. That in a particular month, each of us run into about a hundred people that we know them by their face. We might say hi, we'll have pleasantries, but it's around a hundred. Then they tell us that within that is another kind of circle, of good friends. 
and that this one is about 20 people. Good friends, people that we know, people that are there. And then it says that there is for some people, not all people, but for some people, an inner circle, an inner circle of friends. And that people don't get to this inner circle of friends unless there is some intentionality to it. And there's only one group, folks, that can help you when you're going uphill on an uphill climb, and that is your inner circle friends. And Jesus understood this. Jesus knew hundreds of people, acquaintances. When He started His public ministry, He had about 12 disciples and then uh, some women, Martha and Mary and some others that He had, about 20. But when He got to His inner circle of friends, folks, He only had three people. And that was it. Folks, these are the people that when you have to go up a steep hill, these are the people, the only ones, who can help you make it. There's a guy who's in this inner circle of my life. And a few months ago, he came to my office and he walked in and he said, I can't believe I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. And then when he went on to talk about this big hill of his own making, but that now he was going to have to climb. And because we had kind of this inner circle of friendship, I think I understood him better, we connected more, and I prayed for him in that time. And he told me later on that he said, because you didn't judge me, but you still spoke truth, but you really understood, he said, I realized I might have hope to overcome this hill. Let me just ask you folks, are you doing anything with building intentionality with some inner circle of friends? Those friends that are there no matter what, the friends that can give you a power transfusion when you can't walk it yourself. Peter, James, and John were that kind of friend to Jesus as he was going uphill. But the thing is, for Jesus, even his inner circle of friends eventually could not help him up the hill. You would have thought that these guys would have been so excited, they would have hoisted Jesus up on their shoulders and said, Come on, we're going to help you take the hill. But three different times in the Scripture, it says when Jesus came back, to John, James, and Peter, when he came back to them, they were sleeping. Three different times he goes back and they're sleeping. The Bible says this, when he rose from prayer and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. And he asked them, why are you sleeping? Well, why are they sleeping? The Scripture says they're exhausted from what? From sorrow. He knows that they're human beings, that they're struggling. And so He lets them off the hook. He doesn't berate them. He doesn't put them down. And then He turns and He goes up the rest of the hill. 
And now he's going up this hill and he finally reaches up his hand to heaven and his father reaches down and takes hold of his hand because there are some hills that you have in life, folks, in which the only hand that's going to help you up that hill is your heavenly father. Folks, when you're facing hills, there are some hills that you can do on your own. Brute strength, kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm going to make it up this hill. You can do it, or you can do it part of the way. But if it's a steep hill, you can't do it on your own. You'll need some friends around you to be able to help you get up that hill, or at least get up part of that hill. But folks, it's been my experience that when it's the steepest hills that God has asked me to to climb, that there's always a little bit more hill than any human being can help you up. I never get to the top of the steepest hills that I have to experience in life with just my friends around me. They may help me up part of the way, but they can't get me to the top of the hill. That's the time in which I have to reach up to heaven and heaven reaches down to me and God grabs my hand and He carries me or He lifts me up all the way to the top of that hill. And some of you have experienced this in your life. You reached up and you didn't think anyone was there and the Father reached down and He grabbed your hand and He said, I will take you and help you up this hill. And when Jesus does that and He gets to the top of the hill, He says the most powerful words that maybe are ever spoken in Scripture. He says, not my will, but your will be done. Folks, how important was it for Jesus to get to the top of that hill and to do things in the right way? Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we know that the only way we're ever going to get to heaven is because of what He did on that hill. You know, I've been thinking about it all week of how we would kind of close our time together. Because the reality is some of you are going up some hills right now. You've got a big hill that you're facing. And I have, a, I have a feeling that as you walked in and I started talking about hills, you just sensed in your own spirit, wow, he's talking. And it wasn't me, but God's just kind of saying, hey, you know what? You've got a hill. And some of you are standing at the bottom of that hill right now. And I just want you to know, as your pastor, as someone who cares for you, loves you, I want to help you climb that hill. So as we wrap up this time together, this is what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to bow our heads and just kind of close our eyes, and we're going to reflect just for a moment. And then we'll be out of here. But we're going to reflect right now about what's going on in the hill that you have to climb. And the first thing that I want to do as you're bowing your head is that I just want to ask right now, as we're all kind of 
got to move around or whatever just to get yourself connected to God, just say, God, I, I want to I experience you right now. And the first thing that I'd like you to do is I'd like you to just offer a prayer of thanksgiving to Jesus for the fact that he climbed that hill for you. That if you were the only person on planet Earth on that moment, he would have climbed that hill just for you. Would you just take a moment right now and, and just tell Jesus, just tell him, say, thank you for climbing that hill for me. I'm grateful that you didn't take an easy path. But you took a difficult path and paid for my sin. Now let's talk about your hill. Some of you are going through relational hills, medical hills, a parenting hill, a marriage hill. Some of you are facing things right now that you have to make a decision in the next week. And you're like, man, that hill is too big. Some of you right now are facing a grief hill. How can I even get up this morning when I know that my husband's gone or my son is gone? It's a grief hill. And this is what I want to ask you to do right now. Everyone's eyes closed and and head bowed. If you're going through a hill right now, Jesus had to stand up and disclose the pain, the hurt, the hill that he was experiencing. And you don't have to be ashamed of whatever hill you're dealing with right now. But if you would, if you would just stand right now, whatever your hill is, I'd just like to pray for you. And don't be embarrassed about people looking just asking everyone to honor the hills that people are having right now and that you would you know just keep your eyes closed but if you're facing a hill right now that you would just stand and I want to pray for you Now, if you're not standing, what I want you to do is start praying that God would touch the lives of these people who are experiencing hills right now. You just pray as hard as you can. You don't even have to know the people, but you just start praying. Maybe someone's standing beside you. Maybe, you know, they're down the aisle, but you just start praying for them. Now, if you're facing a hill, I want you to know that you don't face it alone. You have a church family. We are with you in this. And I just want to pray for you right now.
God, there are some folks right now who are standing. And it took so much courage for them to stand, to give some self-disclosure. But God, they need your hand from heaven to reach down and touch their life. And I pray that right now. They're admitting, God, that they have a steep hill that they're facing. Most of these folks, they didn't ask for these hills. They would love to just kind of be on a level plane right now, but that's not the way that it is. God, thank you for giving them the courage to stand, and would you just reach down through your power, God, and touch their lives. Give them your peace. God, pour your strength right now into their life for their situation. Give them your power, God, to climb the rest of the hill. And God, if they can't, would you just reach down and would you help carry them up the rest of the way? And I'd like you to just say this quietly to yourself, but those of you that are standing, just say, God, I receive your help. I'm open to your ideas. I'm open to your power. I'm open to any assistance from heaven that could flow my way. I'm so glad that you know my name and you're ready to help. And now, God, take all the prayers of those that are sitting down and my prayer and all of our prayers, God, and would you just instill your strength in these people as they climb those hills so that your name would be made great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you all would stand. And uh, I'd just like to say, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, please come up. The prayer team would love to pray for you. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.